0: Welcome to the DEI Discussions podcast series. This is the Women of FinTech chapter, and we are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today, we are joined by Sarah Persov, engineering lead at Dojo. She is here to share how she walks the talk for inclusion in our sector and what more she wants done. Sarah, I am super happy to have you here, you and Sweeney, with us today. Hi, I'm really excited to be here as well. Yeah, great to have you, and thank you for coming into our offices. Let's start things off by you telling us a bit more about Dojo and the mission.
1: So Dojo is one of the largest growing fintechs in the UK, and what we are all about is empowering our customers to really thrive in the experience economy. So we have a range of products, and that can be anywhere from card machines that... We, I'm sure everyone has seen in the small to medium-sized businesses, as well as the Dojo app to
0: help you guys do virtual queuing, booking of tables, and things like that. Lovely, thank you. Now, tell us a bit more about your role, because I know you love it so much, and I'd love to hear what you love so much about it. So I'm an engineering
1: lead, but in my situation, I'm actually both the technical team lead and the people manager of my team. And I work specifically at creating products for other engineers to empower them to empower our customers. So I'm very, very behind the scenes. But what I really love is being able to solve complex problems that really make the experience that the other engineers are having in their day to day lives better and kind of building in that reliability, security and general quality into all of our code base and products. Mm. And another big part of my role is heading up the Women in Tech function. So what that really entails is working with the community, with the Women in Tech community in the business, really learning what are they experiencing. You know, we can always go by the general thing, things we read online, LinkedIn, things like that, but that's generic. What My goal is is to find out what are the women at Dojo experiencing and what have they experienced in the past, both positive and negative, and then kind of collating that, aggregating, anonymizing, and then taking it forward to the top-down approach. So working with the execs, working on policies, trying to ensure that our culture is constantly evolving in line with the women in the company to ensure that we're always improving their
0: experience Mm. and really empowering them to thrive within the company. Mm. And I'm so glad that you've shared this approach because it's been so powerful and the impact is incredible when you can have really clear communication, open, transparent, psychological safety, and then someone actually taking that feedback and ensuring it's listened to and changes implemented. And I'm sure there are so many businesses out there that are looking for what those steps are, and you've just explained it, so it's fantastic. With everything that you've learned, what would you say are the biggest barriers we face in the pursuit of inclusion in the workplace? So I think
1: it's an incredibly multifactored you know, problem. It's not a super easy thing. I think we in tech in general have a kind of tendency to just say there aren't enough women entering the workforce. There aren't enough women doing the degrees or the apprenticeships and things like that. But actually, there's been a huge uptick in that. The bigger thing is ensuring that when you bring somebody into your workforce, that it is ready for them. And that's not just for women that's for minorities, it's for people with invisible disabilities, it's everything. And the biggest thing with that is ensuring that the people you hire are ready for those harder conversations, ready for being in experiences that might be uncomfortable for them. You you know, they are people who want to grow because culture is always evolving and changing. What was okay five years ago isn't necessarily okay today. And I think that's really, really important when thinking about what are the barriers right now. And another big thing is that if you don't have women or minorities, or insert here, it's gonna be a lot harder for you to get more into your company. Mm. The more women you have, the more women who will come. Because ultimately, especially if there are more junior women, you know they're not going to want to enter a company where they're going to be potentially the only women in an entire area not just a team but you know it could be that there are so few women that they're going to automatically feel not just isolated and excluded but standing out and what that then leads to often is this idea that they are the kind of base for everything and what I mean by that is that let's say you have a you know a younger female engineer or even more experienced engineers right the amount of times I've heard people say really stereotypical not stereotypical but like these wide comments about oh well women are this or women are that because they've had one bad experience with a female engineer People don't extend the respect and kindness to allow women to have time to improve or not be superstars. And there's this idea that because, you know, this is even worse when there are very few women because you stand out so much, you're scrutinized so much. There's so much, you know, you are setting the baseline for all other women and, You know, it's really hard to change somebody's first... It's an impossible way to bear, isn't it? It is. Mm. And these kind of views are really hard to change and they Mm. stick with people. And a big thing as well is that if you don't have more senior women, and I don't just mean really high level, I don't just mean heads of, I don't just mean, you know, CTOs, people like me, people who are working their way through their career, it makes it even harder for women to know that's actually something they can attain. And when you take into account the fact that women are often held to a much higher standard than men in tech, and this is a subconscious thing, it's not a conscious thing, but because women are always, or often, not always, overachievers to succeed in the industry it sets this expectation that you can't have average and at the end of the day there's nothing wrong with average there's a huge need for average you you know if every single woman has to be this superstar wonder woman you know overachiever well you're essentially telling everyone that if you're not that don't even bother and all of these things really are exacerbated at that slightly younger age, like work experience, year in industry placements, women looking to get into computer science, women at computer science, like university or degrees, where they look around, they see the culture, they see the behavior, and they go, well, why do I not want to set myself up for this? Mm. And ultimately, it doesn't matter how passionate you are, if you are knowingly putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be constantly disrespected, you're having to always fight, you may just decide
0: not to. Mm. And that's a healthy decision to make a lot mm. of the time. Mm. I think that really hits home to me because I've said to a number of people recently, it it just doesn't look good, does it? It doesn't look appealing. And what really hit home for me is when, when I had my daughter, I thought, imagine she turned 17, 18, and she asks me, should I go into financial technology as it is today? As her mother, what would I say? Would I encourage her to do it, or would I say, oh, hon steer clear because that's not the nicest of places for you and that's really driven me to be better so I love the fact that you've explained all of that. I saw you comment on LinkedIn about a really interesting article I think it was published by Bloomberg. The report produced saying that the tech industry loses half its women by the time they turn 35. Tell us a bit of your comments on that and what should be done. So this
1: builds upon my previous point about how like the barrier and the problems with women or the problems women in tech are facing, right? By that age, women who might want to have families is a really big thing. And because tech is so competitive and it's so fast paced, if the company isn't actually adaptable, if they aren't accommodating in a way that is actually accommodating. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of people who say they're accommodating, but they're not checking in, they're not making sure that when a woman comes back from maternity leave, do they want to do the role they were doing before? Do they want to actually maybe go on a part-time contract for a bit? How do they want that ease in to go? Maybe they've realised actually they don't want the responsibility if things to be a lead, maybe they want to go back to being an IC for a bit and get more comfortable because all the products have changed, there's been a real things like that. But also, Keeping touch days are so important. Making sure that they haven't, you know, if they've had a year off, they're not coming back and going, you expect me to suddenly jump right back in? But it's a whole new product. It's a whole new team. You know, I need to rebuild the trust. But I think another really big thing is, I think by that age, a lot of women have just had enough. And they've reached a stage where they have the self-confidence built up within them. And they feel empowered enough to go, actually, my skills are transferable and the money isn't worth it. Mm. And I think a really big thing is that when you first enter this industry, it can be so, so detrimental to your self-esteem and your self-confidence. We all know about imposter syndrome, but I think it's even more insidious than that, because you're not given that baseline human respect having to fight for basic respect you're being judged you're being constantly scrutinized and you feel small and it can really erode that self-confidence and i guess protectiveness of yourself and you kind of go into that kind of defensive of, i have to prove the mode but i truly believe that by that age you've you've realized actually it's not for you. And that's a perfectly fine thing to do. But I think another thing we also need to think about is the tech industry as a whole. It's not an easy industry to be in. It is so competitive. It is so, you know, people are judgmental. It can be clicky. I'm not saying it always is. I mean, I love it, right? But all of these other things that will be influencing other people to be leaving the industry are going to be a compounded, impact on women, especially if they haven't had a good support system, or they haven't been in a company or companies with good culture, and they haven't had someone to protect them as well. Mm. And that's where allies are really important. Mm. Because if you don't have good allies, especially men in positions of power who can actually make that impact, why would you want to put yourself through that? Especially if you have a family, especially, like you said, if you have a daughter or a young child and you're thinking, would I be okay with somebody treating my child the way that I'm being treated? You know, it all comes down to this, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts compounding effect. Mm. It's
0: heartbreaking, really, isn't it? And I think... I really have liked what you said about the imposter syndrome and that self-confidence. And it's just so funny how in an industry where we get to the root of problems and we fix them, we're not getting to the root of this problem because we still keep doing these confidence courses of the women when actually we should be doing the confidence courses for the people that are putting the women down and making them feel that that they're not confident and actually building up those people's confidence in the women that are working with them. But we don't seem to be doing that. So
1: I remember reading something about how we taught women how to be independent. They can be breadwinners, they can be anything they want to be, but we didn't necessarily change the way we bring up young boys and men and teach them how to live in a world where they aren't the default gender, right? Mm. It isn't just men. And something I've noticed, and I feel like is more prevalent now than even five, eight years ago, is this idea that when you're opening up a role, for example, to women, and you might be, let's say, spending a few weeks focusing on trying to find women or diverse candidates, I've heard so many young men in particular, but also men of all ages say things such as, it's more taken from them. It's not that there's more competition, but there's this idea that they have actually, they are being discriminated against in a way that, they are fearful of. And it's not like they're being treated the way that women have historically been treated. It's more, there's more competition. And it just means that they're going to have to be better, prove themselves differently. And I think that's a really big part of it. We need to start focusing on ensuring that from when anyone enters the industry or thinking of it. Really, it should be way before that. You know, this comes down to very young ages, but what we can actually start doing is trying to teach people in a way that isn't inflammatory. And what I mean by that is kind of going on a course, going, you know, don't do this, don't do that. It's it's not about that. It's about getting people to really start thinking about their own, like, actions. Reflecting that kind of inner growth mm. on how could that be seen? How could that be heard? Mm. And being okay with going, actually, I need to improve. Or being okay with someone going, look, I know you didn't mean that, but this is how I took it. And being okay with hearing that and, you know, accepting it. Mm. It's not an attack on you. It just is, right? Mm. Mm. And I think... As a society, that's something we need to work on. Learning to be more empathetic, learning to not just be thinking about ourselves, but how our impact is on everyone around us.
0: Mm. Yeah, really powerful points. You mentioned within that the wonderful allies that can make Mm. a real difference. What things have you seen the good allies do? So I've been fortunate that I've actually had some amazing allies, from my
1: manager at Dojo to, previous colleagues I've worked with. You know, the biggest thing is that they are not judgmental, but also they actually just tell me straight. Like, I've had them say, look, you know, that wasn't okay. You shouldn't have been treated that way. And then going a step further and empowering me, pushing me to do things like this. You know, hearing, me go on a rant about sexism in an interview and going, that's somebody I want in my team. Shout out to my manager. Mm. You know, it's about putting themselves actually in a vulnerable position where they are going to their managers and going, things need to change. This isn't okay. You're not treating someone in the right way. We need to be better. Mm. And using their privilege to not just protect and empower me,
0: but try and make that change. Mm. That's super, super powerful. you know, And again, it takes me back to what you said about don't just say you're accommodating, be accommodating. Don't just say you're going to empower someone. Empower them and stand up for them and stand by them. And
1: I would also say a big thing, a big takeaway, is to actually ask people what they want, what would empower them. Because what might empower me won't necessarily empower you. Mm. It might not be something you want or you're comfortable with, right? And it comes down to this treating people as individuals as part of a community not just assuming that's what they want, assuming that's what they're experiencing. Mm. Mm.
0: Yes it's super important. Now this podcast I always introduce it saying we're here today to walk the talk because just as you've been saying there's, there's no point talking about things or pretending that you do it or saying that you do it when you're not doing the authentic steps, the difficult steps sometimes to make it happen. So When you think about our audience, the people that will be listening to this, what would you like to see more of from them for genuine workplace inclusion? I
1: think it all comes down to that raw vulnerability of finding out what are people experiencing. And that's not to say just speak to one person. Don't just go to, you know, a woman in a team that you know is gonna give you the best answer. You know, it's about really finding out why women are leaving your company, being raw, and that's the really hard part because a lot of women aren't going to feel comfortable being honest because they're worried about retaliation, right? Mm. But building that trust and being very clear that you want to help, you want to protect them, right? And this is where the anonymized aggregated data is really important. Don't just go to one person. Mm. Speak to as many people as you can. See what is it that, you know, they can experience, but also spend time reflecting, right? And I think this is really important, especially as a man coming to women. Spend time really taking a step back and really thinking about how would you feel if you were the only man in a room and you weren't able to be included in you know, the lunch social because you're not into the new Barbie movie, for example, right? <laughs> but it wasn't just one week, it was a yeah. year. How would that make you feel? How would you feel if it was assumed that you would always be the one taking notes or getting the drinks? And when then approaching women and say like, you know what, actually I've been thinking about it and I think personally that this can be discriminatory or I've noticed that there's a behavior that we do or I've noticed that, you know, our lead always seems to expect you to get your work done quicker, doesn't offer you as much help, calls you out more in stand-ups, things like that. Be critical in a way that is vulnerable. And then that is how you can build that trust.
0: Mm. Fantastic. Sarah, today you have shared just so much honesty of your journey and it's incredible the work that you're doing to drive this forward. And I've loved listening to you on other podcasts, reading your articles this year. Can't wait to see what you do next. So thank you so much for joining us on the DEI Discussions podcast series. Thank you so much.